0: Welcome to the Living in Alignment podcast. My name is Amy Landry. Through a collage of conversations, here we distill mindful living and timeless wisdom within a modern, everyday context. Thank you for being here. Worthy of a great and honorable introduction, Kalina Shakti is one of my beloved teachers of this lifetime and is an artist of great subtlety and depth. Trained in Odissi classical Indian dance and well-versed in many styles of dance from India and beyond, Kalina lives a rare and artistic path steeped in rich tradition. Yoga, aesthetics and related philosophies are an integral part of her holistic vision. Kalina has dedicated her life to dance ever since moving to India in 2001 to undergo intensive training in Odissi, as well as to research and document Rajasthani folk dances, music and jewellery traditions. Kalina lived closely with a tribe of Kalbelia people and has witnessed many stages of evolution within their nomadic culture. She has had immense fortune to study under some of India's greatest masters for more than a decade and continues to dig deeper into the philosophies and practices which tie Indian dance to the path of yoga. Kalina is committed to honouring lineage and preserving traditional and quickly disappearing art forms of India. She lives most of the year in Rajasthan, India, where she founded Shakti School of Dance over a decade ago in the historical Rangnath Temple Complex in the holy town of Pushkar, while in the summer months, she tours, performing and teaching worldwide alongside hosting programs at her picturesque summer school on the Greek island of Crete. I cannot help but feel this introduction does not do you enough justice, Colina. But from the depths of my heart, thank you for being here. It's a privilege to have some of your time.
1: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me for this.
0: My pleasure. There are so many elements to your path, to your practice and your work that I could uh, easily and perhaps very greedily talk to you and listen to you for hours and days. Uh, But to begin, would you mind sharing with us a little bit about your background and your story? So how did you arrive here on such a unique and significant path? Uh,
1: <laughs> okay, I'll try to recap. Um, so uh, yeah, long, long story short, let's try not to get too hung up on the details. But I I was born in uh, California, in Southern California. And um, I think it's safe to say that um, in my In my years of growing up in America, I never really related to the way of thinking or kind of what was projected as my future as an American girl growing up. Um, So I was very rebellious when I was a teenager, very rebellious. (laughs) And I think that had a lot of impact on um, propelling me on a unique path in life that rebelliousness um, and kind of non-conformity attitude. Um, I was just looking for something a little bit more than uh, the life I was presented in my upbringing. So um, I always say when I talk about my my life story or the path that how I ended up here is, punk rock music led me to yoga. So there, (laughs) those rebellious years and, and all those punk rock lyrics, um, screaming and shouting for liberation, um, kind of initiated me on this path of just even putting that idea of liberation in my head, um, that there was some freedom to fight for and um i really do think that's what led me to yoga and to an unconventional path was just looking for um, a way to experience life at a deeper level than how it was presented to me in my southern california upbringing so um i was in college studying dance and anthropology when i first discovered indian dance and um that was the pivotal moment um There was like this moment in in class, we were studying the dances of Asia and we arrived to dances of India and we then arrived to Odissi dance. And it was literally just the first moment I saw a picture of an Odissi dancer, it was Madhavi Mudgal. We saw a picture and the description of the dance and studied a bit about the history. And I just remember in that very class thinking this is so incredible i don't want to read about it i want to do it it's not something outside of me it's something i feel within me and um i really can't explain why that is because i never had any association with indian culture before that moment um but it kind of planted a seed in my head that um that just really took off and grew and uh, and a few years later i had left college, uh, saved up money, sold everything I owned, and then went to India when I was 20 years old um, to study Odissi. And um, so I thought I would be studying for about a year and master the dance and then come back to America. I mean, that's just what you imagine. (laughs) Life is not, You know, you don't imagine where life will take you, especially when you're young. You just can't see um, how the pieces all fit together. But anyway, that year passed, and um, I was training in Orissa in a very traditional situation. My teacher didn't really speak a lot of English, and I was in a classroom with um, young boys. It was all young boys at my school, so (laughs) I was the giant white girl that didn't speak a word of odia <laughs> and everyone was terrified of me and just terrified to stand next to me in the classroom but my teacher was very sweet and you know he acted really like a father figure um, and so i persisted um, so it was during that first year that i took a trip from eastern india uh, from orissa to rajasthan because I I was also interested to find the folk dance of Rajasthan. I had seen um, a beautiful film called Lacho Drum uh, when I was uh, studying dancing in college. And um, in the beginning, actually it's the opening scene of the film, there's a Kalbelia dancer um, dancing under a tree in the deserts, most beautiful scene I think of any movie. And, um, so I was also in search of this dance of the Kalbeliya people of Rajasthan. So when I visited Rajasthan, I met some Kalbeliya people and became friends with them and they taught me their dance. And, you know, one thing led to the next and here I am 20 years later, (laughs) still with a lot of the same people in my life, um, still spending time with Kalbeliya, still, um, You know, working with Rajasthani folk artists, dancers, and musicians. Still uh, training in Odissi dance, and then I've I've opened my school. Um, Fifteen years ago, I opened a dance school, a dance school of my own, and um, so it was through the dance. Uh, the study of particularly Orisi, which is steeped in religious tradition and, you know, these Vedic traditions, Orisi, um, the, you know, the context is very closely related to the worship that happens in the Jagannath temple, a Vaishnav temple in Puri orissa So it's, it's very much um, intertwined with religious traditions um, and religious practices. And then, of course, the spiritual philosophy that, that is associated. And so it's through the study of Odissi and, and just trying to understand the stories which we portray and the concepts which we're portraying through our gestures um, that I discovered yoga and meditation. Um, so after starting with Odissi. Um, I, you know, I didn't come to India to find it or to find my spiritual self or or anything like that. It kind of was the side effect of getting involved in the arts, um, and then obviously, that what seemed like a side effect, what um, has now become the central point of the entire practice of my entire life. You know, my my whole body of work. Um, so after training in the dance and living in India several years. Gosh, I think it was maybe six years into living in India, I met my spiritual guru. And um, that's a story of its own. (laughs) But um, it was really after meeting him and taking initiation with him and being literally like held by the hand and guided into very deep philosophies and very deep spiritual practices um, that I began to understand the nuances in this art form of Odisi. I began to understand how yoga is as much a part of a dance form like Odisi as the mudras are. and so yoga entered into my practice and into my life. In, and just the whole, I would say the whole holistic picture opened up for me after meeting my guru because he um, was able to reveal that interconnectedness of yoga, um, spiritual philosophy, um, India's ancient history and Sanskrit texts. Um, how Ayurveda integrates into literally the way we practice dance um, and how a dancer stays healthy um, and how a dancer views her own body and mind. And um, so through all of that, I I think of it like a web or a tapestry, all of that interconnectedness opening up to me. I also started to practice Kalaripayattu. And that was by my spiritual guru, Swami Vidya Dishananda. Through his suggestion, I pursued training in Kalaripayatu, which is um, a part of that web (laughs) that integrates um, emotional expression through abhinaya in dance, the vira rasa or the rudrabhava, the furious and the heroic aspect of martial arts and the integration of Ayurvedic lifestyle, and the yogic practices which helps us to um realize higher truths and so um all the little pieces um were really woven together after meeting him and so i've just been i've just been diligent on this path and i think that's maybe one unique thing about my life is um i feel the the pull as as someone from California, as a Westerner um, from a modern, you know, culture, modern reality, I didn't grow up in a village in Orissa. um, So coming from a very modern reality, whatever that means, (laughs) um, I realized that the tendency of my culture and my upbringing was to diversify and to diffuse. And um, like as a dancer, uh, i don 't know if I went to a dance university in the West, uh, the administration encourages dancers to diversify and have a wide range of skill sets and you know to perform many different styles and um, and so i I feel like the western um, model or the modern model of life is very much about going shallowly into many subjects. And so the thing that I just feel what's unique in my work right now is just to adhere to this path of a traditional art, which feels very much against the grain. Even in India today, many young and modern Indians ask me, why do you do Orisi? It's like something my mother did. (laughs) It's so (laughs) traditional. And so I just find myself um, sometimes uh, a fish swimming upstream in that sense of just you know I I'm not from that village in Orissa but I I feel a great responsibility and a great love for this tradition to carry it on and perpetuate it in an in an honourable way.
0: And I think that's what's beautiful about uh, the experience of. Studying at Shakti School of Dance is that you've created this really treasured experience where we directly integrate all of these uh, paths, if you will, or practices, if you will, that are very um, almost segregated in the West. And perhaps that's why so many women come from all over the world, because whether consciously or subconsciously, we're craving more depth and more richness to our path that perhaps we're unable to access, or it's not so easy to access in the West.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like that interconnectedness and the holistic vision, which is the tradition in in the Vedic um, worldview, if you will, in Sanskrit literature and the wisdom that comes from these texts, um, it's a very holistic vision in a much deeper sense than how we use the word holistic. Um, maybe like in a medical context or in some other context.
0: I have to say, just backtracking a little bit, I hope you don't mind me mentioning, but yeah. when you were telling your story, uh, I although I was aware of uh, classical Indian music and I, I had traveled to India, I'd never heard of ODC. And it was recommended to me by uh, a yoga teacher and it wasn't only recommended to me it was recommended to me that i have a look at you and your work and i remember i distinctly i was in bali at the time and i remember going to your website and i just looked at you and looked at what you were doing and i was like i ha- i ha- like i have to do that and the next day was the day that the applications opened for the next season and I remember I applied yeah. and I didn't tell anyone because I thought there's no I just I don't think I'm going to be able to go I don't think I don't think I'll get in and I remember I burst into tears when I got that application letter and I don't know if you remember it was obviously a number of years ago but you were in Orissa at the time and there was um, like typhoons or something and the internet was out and so there was a delay uh, you know, as tends yeah. to be the case, and I was thinking, oh no, I, I, you know, I, I must have missed the boat. And then, of course, a couple of weeks later, it came through. And I'm sure that so many women that have come to school and to study with you have had such a profoundly uh, transformative experience. It's very, uh, I think, difficult to articulate. But you've created such a such a special space and experience that I think is just tremendously reflective of your deep. Uh, dedication and and loyalty to, I guess a, a really extensive path of studentship, um, which yeah I adore and I would love to ask you on that note, um, as you share your story, can you reflect back and and think of I know that you are a, an avid reader but can you think about whether there was a book, uh, you know, that really helped put you on this path or, you know, throw you onto this trajectory in any way?
1: Yeah, let's see. Uh, I guess, I mean, in the beginning, there wasn't necessarily a book, but there's one book that comes to my mind. um, And I had already been on my path for about 10 years. And I had, I really had this feeling like, oh my God, I'm the only one on the planet that's ever gone through this. It's so unusual and so uncomfortable. As I explained my early years of training in Orissa, just so awkward and to be quite honest, like just really painful, if not at times traumatic. And um, just going through the process of being an an awkward outsider to really... um, you know, integrating and finding truth in this art form and calling it my own now, finding my own way within it, Um, that whole process was so uncomfortable. And it's really, I I always think of it like, um, you know, we have these um, cultural constructs built up in our head, the way we think, the way we view things, the way our value system And going through a process like learning Odissi in a very traditional context, I had to day after day, just peel back layers of cultural conditioning or, you know, some, whatever conditioning was there just, um, to look at life and look at art and look at my body in a different way. And, um, so there was a book, there, there is a book, it's called when the body becomes all eyes by Philip Zarilli, And it when I found this book, I mean, every page I read, I was just crying because I felt like finally someone else has articulated what I've been going through. I mean, he he's an incredible scholar um, and this book is about Kalari Payatu. So it's also how I just dove into the Kalari world. Um, he's describing, uh, Payattu and his process of training and deconditioning uh, his thought processes and his body-mind and um, so I just feel like that's one of the most valuable books I've ever read in my life because every word that he wrote about his experience of training in this cultural um, culturally nuanced martial art form. Um, Of Kerala it's like I had been through every one of those situations Um, and he's an incredible scholar and just articulates things in such a beautiful way Um, and then I would say another book that kind of threw me deeper into the world of studying um, Indian aesthetics um, that I literally travel the world with this book in my bag it's called The Dance of Shiva by Ananda Kumaraswamy and um, anybody that studied with me knows that's the first book that I recommend because he just breaks down um, in in very inspiring and digestible um, uh, papers. He, he has different chapters about um, Indian aesthetics and kind of uh, contemplations on um, the Indian vision of what is beauty and what is art. So those are two of my most important books. And what are you
0: reading now? Which is probably, there's probably a few <laughs> things going on at all times, but
1: maybe something that's significant. <laughs> I, I literally have a stack of books in front of me. Um, so I'll read, I'll read the a few of the stack. <laughs> at the top of the stack actually is the argumentative Indian, um, Amartya Sen uh is the author and it's a very important book on um i mean it's also a series of essays and he's an incredible scholar and uh it's an important book about many issues surrounding um i don't know the very idea of what is india um but there let's see what is the chapter i was reading i am oh um The
0: chapter is, so you're going to give us some direct
1: juice from the book. I'll give you (laughs) a page. The chapter is called The Indian Identity. And the first section of that chapter is colonialism and identity. And then it goes on from there. That's just, it's amazing. (laughs) So I um, had seen this book around for a long time, but I finally got into it. And then it threw me on a whirlwind because the next book under that one is Orientalism by Edward Said, which is a classic text. Um, Anybody uh, in a field like mine knows about this important book, Um, Orientalism. uh, Yeah, anyway, we'll get into that. But uh, that companionship with the argumentative Indian, I'm, I'm having a great time um, <laughs> having arguments in my head at this point and writing some articles and some theory classes from that. Um, and then I have Dance Anatomy and um, Ayurveda Lifestyle Wisdom um, by Acharya Shunya, mm. which is a lovely, a very sweet, very feminine book I just love to have around. And I've been picking that up especially in the last few weeks. Um, she just has a really motherly way of presenting Ayurveda. Um, and I'll, I'll just read the next, the last one. Um, this, the Square and the Circle of Indian Arts. It's by Kapila Vatsyayan, who is a great scholar um, of Indian aesthetics. And it's like an amazing book.
0: <laughs> so we get to, we get to absorb all the goodness that you're going to regurgitate back to us as we come and study with you, which is so good. I'd like to just direct the conversation a little bit to tradition and Mm -hmm. there's sort of two questions around this, uh, firstly, and and I know this is, this is probably a question that is very difficult to simplify in, in an answer, but how do you personally honor tradition? And then second question is how can we, collectively and individually on a tradition because you come from that background that western culture but you've had a deep experience of Indian culture and the tradition that comes along with that and it can be very difficult to perhaps translate that into the western world and there's always that adjustment from coming out of India I find that's very challenging I think when you (laughs) when you leave so I would love to know for you how you maintain that consistent sense of honouring tradition, what that looks like, and then how you feel that we can do the same.
1: Yeah, well, it's um, I feel like it's very central to my work. I mean, it's the the absolute (laughs) bindu or the centre point of um, of everything, of all my work. And I think the common misconception from a more modern perspective is that tradition means lack of freedom or um, losing the self-identity. And my personal story has been this incredible self-discovery within a very traditional construct. (laughs) So... um, where's the room for self-expression in a very codified classical dance form and um, there is an incredible universe laid out in front of you when you you know just because um, there's codified footwork and hand gestures and eye movements doesn't mean you don't express yourself through that it's like learning a language and you just use these words which have already been created you use it to tell your own story. So, um, how do I honor tradition? Um, I think it starts, I mean, it starts on the inside. You have to you have to have faith in your tradition. Um, the guru is central to every, um, traditional uh, art form in India, whether it's yoga, meditation, martial arts, painting, music, dance, um, the guru is absolutely central to that art form because without somebody living and breathing and standing in front of you as a live example, then it's only theory that we're discussing, you know, like theoretically, we could do this movement or theoretically, we could embody this value of art. But when you have a guru in front of you, when you have a teacher um, that embodies that, it's just, it's just become so much more tangible. So I think um, to honor tradition, you have to trust. It's called Shraddha. Um, Guru Shraddha is to have faith in the guru and, this is a process it's like it's like falling in love you you meet someone and you get to know them and slowly you develop more and more trust you develop more trust for that love to unfold and this relationship is has been very central to all of the art forms that i study um so quite literally how i honor tradition on a daily basis is I I think of my gurus every time I do my dance. So when I, when I first step I take onto the dance floor, I visualize my guru, I hear her voice, I see her body demonstrating the movement, I feel her presence and the atmosphere that comes with her. Um, every time I sit down to meditate, I... Um, you know, I I see a picture of my guru, I light a candle, I visualize, I pray, I surrender. So it's like that mental um, surrender that I go through anytime I begin my practice. Um, and that presence, it, it, it's, um, it's a very expansive feeling um, because then it's not just me fighting alone with these dance movements or with this meditation technique it's like I'm, i've sort of opened my myself up to um a much higher potential something that i'm reaching for which i haven't yet attained and it just seems forever the carrot dangling in front of me that i'm just reaching for that greatness that my gurus embody um, but if i didn't have that dangling in front of me then I don't know. I I think the experience might be a bit of stagnation or just losing inspiration. Um, So I always tell my students, uh, whenever you practice, you should practice like your teacher is sitting in front of you. You have to visualize, you have to just place your teacher on a chair right in front of you. And um, yeah, and then see their face and feel that because um that that's our tradition and somehow I I see the um the benefit I feel the benefit of that that I'm never alone in this (laughs) never-ending battle towards perfecting myself as an artist and a yogi and so that makes me it seems like a
0: good segue to uh mention the concept of sadhana and you recently released a really uh beautiful blog post around this that makes it a very accessible concept but also provides a little bit of clarity around it so uh would you mind just uh taking the time here to explain like what is sadhana and why is it so important and you know perhaps how that looks for you to get a bit of an idea
1: mm-hmm. um yeah so i as i just recently wrote in a blog post sadhana um sadhana kind of is often described as a practice um i feel like just at its shallowest level we can say it's a practice um and so in this article what i was trying to express was that there's layers to that and those layers are literally layers of understanding of what we can achieve through a practice but also it's the evolution or the natural progress of anybody who does a sadhana so in my case of dance in the beginning um, of learning dance I you know I was told okay here learn these steps and now go practice so there's practice which is like okay I'll go practice this 10 times you know you have a piano teacher or a dance teacher they're going to tell you to practice so uh, okay, I'll go practice of the steps. This is practice and it's um, what anybody can do. And then there's something um, that uh, is called Riyaz. It's an Urdu word. And um, you, especially you hear great uh, Hindustani musicians talk about their Riyaz. Um, So Riyaz is like this incredible effort put into practice. And Riyaz is, it's it's, you know it's kind of this abstract space that we've all experienced it's when you practice something with such concentration that you lose yourself in it so you lose the maybe the sensation of time and space you're just in it you're I mean it's it's like a higher level of concentration and um it's something that if you've experienced, uh, whether it's writing or playing music or dancing, it's it's actually what we why we keep going back to dance classes and why we keep practicing. It's such a joyful experience. Um, it's it's where all the nectar in a practice is, um, but Riaz kind of just stops at at, at that level um, in that. You know somebody can do incredible practice but for um i mean as a performing artist i would say you most often come across people doing incredible practice to become great performers and to be famous and um you know for <clears throat> for um fame so then you have another layer of practice, which is sadhana. And sadhana is a Sanskrit word that um, implies a particular goal in mind, in a practice. And the goal is defined in in all of the Vedic Sanskrit texts, um, known by different names through different schools of philosophy, but we'll call it moksha or liberation as the main goal of this human birth. And so sadhana implies a practice that you do, which brings you closer to that end goal, to that goal of spiritual transcendence or liberation. Um, So as all the great yogis and sages before us know, um, to achieve such a lofty thing as spiritual transcendence or eternal liberation, realizing the truth, it takes a lot of practice, a lot of discipline. And in fact, there's like almost this edge of pain associated with it. Um, so that's why you hear, you know, the word tapas, the, um, the heating practices, incredible self-sacrificing uh, practices which eventually bring us bliss, but maybe in the beginning, you know, to sit in an asana and to meditate even for half an hour, anyone who's tried to do that knows in the beginning you face pain (laughs) and frustration. And, um, until you start to develop this, um, kind of dispassionate attitude or transcend transcendental attitude towards your pain, um, and the sacrifice that goes into that, then, um, you know, you don't move on to the higher levels. So sadhana aims at a kind of complete transformation or transcendence. And um, the beautiful thing about Indian classical arts is that the artistic tradition is linked with the spiritual tradition. And that's um, elaborated on in our Sanskrit texts relating to dance and to the arts. Um, so, so art, in this, in my case, dance um, is is kind of promised to us as practitioners as a path towards liberation, and so much that in our Odissi tradition, um, the final choreography that we always perform is called Moksha. So out of five dances uh, in our repertoire, the final dance we perform is moksha, representing the goal of our sadhana, of our years and years of practicing this dance and performing this dance. So sadhana um, is... I would say, like, it's the kind of attitude that you have a practice. Um, it is an outlook or a belief that you have that what you are doing is a purifying practice. And, um, and the beautiful thing about Indian tradition, as I said, is that the arts are considered purifying practices, just like uh, yoga asana. Um, dance also brings us to um, transcended transcended states of mind and um, ultimately a transcendence of the body even though we're performing insanely complicated movements with the body in time with the music um, what we experience through years and years of practicing a choreography is literally transcending the body and losing um, I mean in my own case I feel like Sometimes I'm on stage and I'm witnessing my body moving, but I'm simply a witness, and um, that is, uh, you know, what we what we also aim for in a seated meditation. So, because the arts uh, and the spiritual traditions are entwined, we have that tradition of calling our dance practice sadhana. Um, so I just think, you know, I have many students who come to study Odissi, not because they want to become professional performers of an Indian classical dance form, but because that possibility is so incredible that we can use art as a means of transcending <laughs> the mundane. Um, it's such an incredible proposition um, that I think just being in that field of practice. Many of my students, they, you know, they come to class every day and they're pushing their limit. Their limit is different than my limit or different than another person's limit that's in the classroom. But the point is to push their limits and to transcend um, and overcome those hardships um, of practice with a higher goal in mind. And so to me, that is that is sadhana so it's
0: essentially in a very simplistic way what i'm sensing here is that it's very much about intention in a way like what is the intention behind Mm -hmm. the practice would that be correct yeah
1: yeah thanks for summing that up (laughs)
0: Well, you said attitude and I, and that makes sense, but I, what was coming through is like intention and, uh, you know, and being very pure and conscious in that, uh, clear in that intention, I think. Um, Yeah. So on the note of sadhana, uh, you know, I, I recognize and acknowledge that you are someone who embodies studentship constantly and diligently and never-endingly. But what is studentship and being a student look like for you right now? Like what are you really digging into and yeah, immersing in?
1: Let's see. Uh well I I make it a point to spend a lot of time with my with my gurus every year. Um so I I do have several gurus. I have my spiritual guru and then I have my Odissi guru. I have my teacher of Kalari payattu um, so I, I try to divide my year. Things have changed in my life in the last few years um, since getting married and a few different changes. But um, I, I generally always had this belief that I want to spend half the year being a student and half the year I can be a teacher. But I, I, I guess that's how it's telling of how I view myself. Um, there is... Um, there is there there's a need to share what you've been working on. I mean, there's a need, every time I teach, I learn so much about what I'm teaching. I I examine it from different perspectives and some, someone's difficulty, a student's difficulty um, propels me deeper into the subject because I try to think, how can I explain this in a way that they will relate to? And so it forces me to grasp my um art from different perspectives um so that's a very important part but i just never wanted to be one of these people that knows everything because that would be so boring i would i would just end there um i just want to know more and more and more and the more years i am indian dance Fascinating it gets close to my teachers um, for a, a part, a, a good part of the year, and I say live near them because um, with my spiritual guru, it's like um, we do silent retreats where we are living with him in silence and receiving teachings. Um, and I go and I live in Orissa. And why I keep stressing the word live is because um, the very concept of guru in our tradition is that someone embodies uh, the ethos of an, of an art form. In this case, we'll come back to dance. So to live near my Orisi guru, um, I take dance class with her, but I also um, help stage when she's performing. And I also um, answer emails for her and I massage her feet and I do all these, um, you know, seemingly mundane tasks, but in, in all of those interactions, um, I learn what (laughs) an incredible dancer. I mean, how does a dancer of her caliber take care of her feet? You know, it's like, um, (laughs) what, what does a dancer of her caliber, um respond to uh in a in an interview and what are the things that she is sharing with the world about the art form of Orissi and so it's not just the dance classes and learning new choreographies and learning new steps it's it's just going deeper into the life of the art Um, so that's an important part of studentship for me Um, I, I don't think that's the path for everyone. It takes an incredible amount of patience to learn in that way. And that's what I know is unique in my path um, is that many, you know, many foreigners who, who come to study dance, they, they come, they're in and they're out. They They take the move and then they go home. And for me, I don't know if it's that I'm a slower learner, or I just want to. I want. I want to feel it in a different way, but I just feel like I need to live in the culture of that art. in In my Kalaripayattu studies, just being in Kerala and being immersed in a world where Ayurveda is kind of just, it's just thriving in the air. Um, it helps me understand my body in the context of this martial art form. And I could take a Kalaripaya to class somewhere else in the world, but I know I just being in that environment it's it somehow enters into my body in a in a different way um, in a deeper way, so that's an important part of my journey as a student and um, yeah and and it unfolds slowly but
0: <laughs> it's very much almost like a sensory experience, if you will I think that um I certainly when I'm around you even just having this conversation with you I know that it's going to impact me in a way that when I get off this call and the way I show up tomorrow and just being in your presence and the presence of our, our teachers is profoundly influential and there's that there's that energetic exchange but also as you say is being in India you know the the sensory experience of the sounds and the smells and the, just the whole experience in general helps us well it's helped me very much anchor into a deeper experience of whatever it is that I'm there for or studying you know and um that can obviously be very challenging like as you say if you come and you learn something and then you just go home it's like it's very challenging to then continue to embody and live that in a really sincere way if that makes mm-hmm. any kind of sense yeah. so speaking of the senses um I just want to ask you a couple of little random questions, though. What would you say is your favorite sound?
1: Um, my favorite sounds. Um, OK, <laughs> uh, first thing that comes to mind is the voice of my Gurudev. Um, just hearing his soothing um, speech uh next thing that comes to mind is the slap of my feet dancing (laughs) um yeah I think those are the sweetest sounds
0: when we did the vinyasa krama practice with you the other day on instagram live um It was so like I had tears coming down my face in just standing in Tadasana because it was like hearing your voice, but also the sounds of India in the background. And there's just something (laughs) so like it just transported me for a moment. And it was just so sweet and blissful. Uh, And what would be your absolute favorite go to meal on the planet? Oh,
1: masala dosa, of course. (laughs)
0: South Indian's the best (laughs) Uh, and what would you say is your daily non-negotiable if you had to pick one
1: sadhana (laughs) I I have a lot of non-negotiables actually (laughs) very busy woman I have a regimen of different sadhanas and they're non-negotiable
0: yeah. I'm not at all surprised at the response to that. And would you like to share uh what you have coming up in the future with those that are listening and really maybe give a little bit of a background or context to studying with you and coming to school whether that's in India or in Greece?
1: Yeah. Well, um we have Greece coming up. I hope <laughs> um So we uh, do a summer school every year uh, on the beautiful island of Crete in Greece. And um, we have a beautiful villa there um, that uh, we've had for two years now. And we started this summer program. Um, It's just the perfect balance for spending most of the year in India um, to go somewhere in the solitude of nature and to be able to swim in the Mediterranean and the olive oil and the, the fruit off the trees. It's a very fertile, very beautiful um, place. And um, so we do a summer program there, which is um, a residential program. So it's the—it's our Shakti Summer School. And the idea is just what I was saying, how um, my studentship, has been very much focused on living with my gurus. And um, the Sanskrit word for that is gurukul, is to live at the house of the guru. And while I humbly don't call myself a guru, um, that idea of being a student and and living together in a, a place where you can where you can live the ideals um, and the values of the art that you're studying, I think it's very important. And that's why I chose an isolated, um, beautiful, rejuvenative, inspiring place um, in Europe to invite people to come and spend part of their summer to study. Um, So we we are planning four weeks of Odissi training and the days start with yoga, and we dance Odissi classical Indian dance, and then the days end with theory class discussing um, everything from yoga and Vedanta to Indian aesthetic theory, or learning the mudras, or hearing stories of Krishna. So sometimes we do those classes in nature under the olive trees as the great philosophers of ancient Greece used to do, sit under the olive trees and discuss theories of beauty. So um, we do four weeks of Odissi, and then this year I'm launching a new program, which is um, Indian fusion formation. And so I also practice an Indian fusion uh, style of dance, which is a really it's a compilation of all the dances that I have um, embodied in my lifetime I started as a belly dancer and interested in Middle Eastern folkloric dance and then obviously got into Indian dance so it's a um, playful yet thoughtful space where I fuse a lot of different movement vocabularies together and maybe is my most modern uh, style of dance that I practice, although using fusing in all kinds of concepts from ancient Indian dance. Um, and then, uh, this year we also have a guest teacher coming to teach, um, a tribal belly dance, uh, retreat. And um, we are all set to start our summer school at the end of June. And we are just praying that everything's going to be okay and people are able to travel. Then we have a lot of people registered already, and we're just praying for the best um, for that all to unfold smoothly, although all of us are waiting to know what life is going to be like in a few weeks. But that's what we have planned right now. And then every winter um, here in Pushkar, Rajasthan, I um, conduct my trainings at Shakti School of Dance here in the Rangnath Temple. And um, we're looking forward to that. It starts in next January. So we have a little while to wait for that. But essentially
0: you're offering both Summer School and Shakti School of Dance every year so no matter when the listener is listening to this it's an annual thing which is wonderful and you of course are doing workshops most of the most years in the united states as well as bali
1: yes yeah i always take a visit back to the u.s and we do a retreat every year in Italy. In um, the Gita Nanda Ashram we do a yoga and Odissi dance retreat there every year around September and yeah we have I mean I think I think all of us are a little uncertain of our of our future this year so certainly um, like many other um, colleagues of mine I will be trying to explore more online options of study although I'm just a dedicated believer and living proof um, of how important it is to be close to our teachers and and live with them and spend time with them. But if we can't do that, then um, next best thing is, I guess, online. So I'm trying to work with slow internet speeds here in India to make some online classes happen.
0: I testify to that because, like I said before, just, you know, not, not only speaking with you now, but the couple of things that you've done lately online has just been very, like, enriching and, and heart-filling because I feel, you know, I've not been able to travel back to India as much as I used to and as I would like to, um, the life of motherhood really. But uh, it's, it's, it's still invaluable to have that connection nonetheless either way so thank you and uh before before i let you go um would you like just to share where um we can send people that are listening where they can find you and find your work online etc
1: Yeah, well, um, I have a website, kalinashakti.com and um, we try to keep that pretty up-to-date. Otherwise, I'm on Facebook, Kalina Shakti. I'm on Instagram, Kalina Shakti. And you can also look um, to learn more about our school here in Pushkar. There's Shakti School of Dance um, Instagram account that has some really beautiful videos we just put up. And, um, as I said, I'm trying to get more modern in my outreach and <laughs> I tried to do an Instagram live, although I recorded on the wrong account this week. So next week, I hope to hit the right buttons and do uh, yoga practice with everyone on Wednesday morning at nine o'clock India time on my Instagram account, Paulina Shakti.
0: <laughs> and hopefully... It'll become a bit more of a
1: regular thing, we pray. Yeah, yeah, because why not? I mean, we're all enjoying Connect, so why does it have to stop the quarantine stops?
0: And uh, just for clarity's sake, for those listening, um, when you say your website and your Facebook and your Instagram, Colina is with a double L and a double E. So just as I'm, I'm sure there's not many Kalina Shaktis on the planet, though, so you'll probably be.
1: But there's a lot of possible spellings. People spell my name all kinds of ways. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. So just for clarity, that's a double L and a double E. But I'm sure Google will um, bring up the goods anyway. But uh, I'll leave it there, and thank you so much for your time. I'm. It's just such a great, as I said, privilege and an honour to speak with you, and I'm um, yeah forever grateful that you've been able to do this especially with the uh unreliable reputation of Indian internet and connection (laughs) so thank you so much thank you if this episode was of value to you and your life please subscribe and if you can think of someone who would benefit from this dialogue please do them a favor and send it their way if you feel called Hop on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. This is the best way to get these conversations into the ears and hearts of our wider community, to those who need it most. You can find me at amielandry.com or over on Instagram at amielandry. May we all move a little closer to a life living in
1: alignment.